0: Hi, and welcome to the 4th U Dimension podcast. This podcast is a production of the 4th Universalist Society in the city of New York. My name is Amber Kelly, and I'm the Director of Religious Education at the 4th Universalist Society. I'm really excited to have you all join me. We are starting a discussion today of self-care, community care, how we care for ourselves in what, in the, what has been probably one of the most challenging years that I can think of in my life. Uh, and I'm very excited to be joined by our senior minister at Fourth Universalist Society, the Reverend Skylar Vogel. So, Skylar, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Ember. I'm glad to be here.
0: So, just uh, some of our listeners who are uh, congregants may, may know you a little bit, uh, and some may like to get to know you a little bit uh, more, and some might have never even come to service. So, I'd be curious if you could maybe introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you ended up as the pastor.
1: Uh, here at forth sure so i I was partially raised unitarian Universalist in Milwaukee and there's a, a really nice church there uh, I went to religious education at that congregation but ended up being confirmed at a Presbyterian church down the road so I got exposure to both the christian tradition and and uu uh, uh, congregations and and uh, but my experience growing up was mostly just curiosity. Uh, I I didn't necessarily buy into organized religion. I didn't necessarily think that uh, I believed anything in particular that would make me uh, religious, but I was fascinated by it. Um, I also had very conservative relatives who were uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran, and uh, that with contrasted with Unitarian Universalism was surprising to me. I didn't quite understand how people could believe so many different things and be so sure of what they believed, and so that that question of how people believe so strongly and and benefited from their belief led me to major in religion, and in college when I went, and uh, and I I studied it. It was fascinating. I never thought I was going to be a minister. That would have been very surprising to me. I would not have thought that I would have been would have been worthy uh, that I was the right kind of person. I had more questions than I had answers. I I didn't know if I believed in any religious uh, theories or theologies or creeds. I I couldn't tell you if I believed in God or not. Certainly, I appreciated the stories and the values and the practice of religion, and I could see a lot of meaning. I always loved visiting churches and and learning about uh, religious communities and and trying to find meaning for myself, but whether I could subscribe to them was always a big question. So I ended up... Uh, almost accidentally joining the the staff of the chapel in college, which I thought was going to be more of a anthropological experience where I, I got to be amongst amongst these religious people and you know, go a little bit deeper into their practice. And then I, I realized once I had joined that they actually expected me to lead things uh, and to help lead services and lead discussion groups and, uh, and be a sort of a, a college spiritual leader of a sort, uh, which made me terrified uh, in the moment. So, But I muddled through, and in some ways, that was a really formative experience to me because I learned that to be a a spiritual leader, to be someone who does ministry, isn't about having the answers. It's not about saying here is the truth; Uh, you all have to subscribe to it. For me, it's a it it. What I learned in college was that it it's a practice of bringing up questions, bringing up questions of. The human experience, and and sharing those, and letting other people engage with those together, in order to find meaning, in order to find uh, a, a good sense of life, in order to live it more full of love, in order to change the world. And that what a minister does is they encourage and cultivate that that kind of communal space where we can live into our the kind of selves that we want to be and hold each other in in this world, in this life, because it's it's not an easy place to always be. So I, I left college having that experience, um, still really not knowing what I believed or what I wanted to do. I planned I was going to be a high school teacher, um, a, a history teacher, which for me actually feels a lot like ministry because you, if you're a social studies teacher, you're talking about who we are, where we come from, um, what kind of society do we want to live in, um, you know, what our roots are. So it wasn't that big of a leap. Unfortunately, I graduated right during the Great Recession and there were no jobs anywhere for anyone, including me. So I ended up looking for another job and I ended up getting hired at a Unitarian Universalist congregation in South Florida to be their director of religious education, which is what you do, Ember, and what uh, uh, we have here, at, you know, obviously at Fourth U. And so I did that. I did that for a year in Florida, um, working with you know, young people and, and also adults and leading faith formation there. Ended up moving to a another church in the out uh, suburbs of Chicago and was there for another two years, and and during that period I, I found that I really enjoyed this work of intentional community and cultivating these spaces where people could come and be together and 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 make meaning and joy, and that's what pushed me to go into ministry. So I ended up applying for divinity school, and uh, and you know five years later I ended up uh, at at fourth U.
0: the Midwest to divinity school pipeline. I, I, I know, and I'm very familiar with that one myself. I know we're uh, my, my theory since I've been hired is that I am part of the Midwest takeover of, of fourth universalist.
1: There's a lot of us, you know, um, Reverend Jill is uh, from Wisconsin. Uh, Reverend Beth has ties to both Minnesota and Illinois. Reverend Mark uh, is from Buffalo, which is not exactly the Midwest, but it's about as Midwest in New York as you can get definitely Rust Belt. So, um, you know, Ember. I know you have Midwest ties, uh, you know, Sean is Canadian, which has a lot of Midwestern qualities uh, as well. So, so, uh, you know, fourth universalist, there's a, there's some spiritual qualities to that. But of course, we, 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 we train our New York, New Yorkness, and there's a certain version of Midwesterners who show up in New York.
0: It's true. We got that, that rough and tumble ability to handle this uh, New York area. Um no, I think one of the things that I really uh enjoyed hearing in there was how the call of community kind of uh came to you, which you know that's that's one of our themes as we've been talking about resiliency this fall in the religious education, has been thinking about how community shapes us. Um so what do you think? How can communities really help us to like better care for ourselves and others?
1: It's a really, really great question. When I think about the communities that I think back most fondly, um, separate from those that I've served as, as ministers, um, those that have really served that where I have been a member of them, um, I think about I think about the power of belonging with a group of people who are there for me, who uh, whose reality helps define my reality. I think in some ways what's been so hard about this year and any hard time though is that with so it's so easy to get stuck in our own our own thoughts our own our own experience and when the world is a scary place when there's pandemics or or even just the fact that we can't see people in the way that we usually can um, in person or family it's so easy to get kind of stuck in a rut and and the rut is ourselves and we get we get stuck in that rut and sometimes when the world is 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 frightening and and feeling maybe a little bit hopeless. That rut is often a dark space. It's like getting stuck in a basement. Um, it's very hard to get out once you're there. And and I think one of the the great benefits of community is that it allows us to experience other people's realities, so we don't get stuck in that rut nearly as much. Um, we can look forward to seeing those people that we we look forward to seeing every week. Uh, we can live in their world. We can. Uh, we can engage with them, we can learn from them, we can be held by them so that we feel like we don't have to be perfect all the time, um, which is such a pressure, um, particularly in this fast-paced, competitive world that is is really real here in New York City, where we're, I think so much, there's such a comparative culture here where um, we so many of us walk amongst famous people or wealthy people or people who have achieved really well that it's easy to forget that that's not what life is about, and and community helps us just feel like we can be truly who we are, and 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 that's really what we want in this world. We want to belong someplace. We want to feel like people care about us and that we matter, not just in a transitory way, but in a, in a deeper way. And and that happens really only through community.
0: So you mentioned in there uh, it, it's been a heck of a year, twenty twenty. Uh, it's it's been a bit of an adventure. Um, could you tell us a little bit uh, as, as the senior minister, how that 2020 has played out for you to some extent?
1: Yeah, um, I think what the blessings and, and curse of being a minister is that we both spend a lot of our time just trying to figure out the world, uh, which is great because you can like totally nerd out on whatever's happening, right? And that helps that helps process. Um, so So when the pandemic first hit, I read a lot about epidemics and pandemics throughout history, Every, and I preached on this. Right, I talked about, uh, you know, the the great mortality, and I talked about cholera and malaria and yellow fever, and and all the and all of the things that happened, and and trying to put in context what we were going through and and better understand it, because I think as as Unitarian Universalists, we believe that. Knowing things helps us get through. Um, that greater understanding may not be our salvation, but it certainly helps. It certainly uh, knowledge helps push away anxiety and fear and, and ignorance because it gives us some insight and some control over things um, and lets us better face it. So, so I'm really lucky as a minister. I get part of my job is to like do that, right? I can get, I can spend a lot of time reading about stuff and be like, yeah, this is great. Um, or I started reading about all the, the people who as a religious uh, practice secluded themselves uh, in small spaces, just like a lot of us were in small New York city apartments in the first part of this quarantine. And I got to read all that stuff and learn about it. And that was really interesting and and, and really meaningful. And so I've been really, I'm really fortunate I think in that way, to have a job that lets me do that, um, I think that part of the challenge, though, is that like, you know, you also have to be public about it, and and so the the areas where where, um, you know, some of us sometimes feel like we want to just sort of ball up and uh, close out the world and uh, not face the reality of the world is not not something that I can really do at least uh, you know during the year, and uh, and so there's always that sort of drive to to be thinking, not just experiencing for myself, but also experiencing for, for the larger community uh, and congregation. So, so my wife, Kristen will tell you that, like, you know, we were, we talked about election night and like how we, how I was stressed, not only for myself, but like, gosh, what am I going to say on Sunday? And, um, and uh, there's a lot to be stressed out just personally, let alone. Um, so I think it's mixed, but I, I, I do think that, I do think that, gives the, the the opportunity to live an intentional life is, is a really powerful one. Um, and in some ways being a minister and being in the congregation helps me stay honest and, and, and forces me to be um, uh, intentional with myself around the kind of life I want to lead um, because I can't ignore it because I, I'm accountable to all of you to, to be wrestling with this life along with you. Um, and in some ways, the role of a minister is sort of the appointed person to to be pro- the appointed processor of the world in a given moment. You know, the, the person with the Bible in one hand and the New York times in the other, as, as uh, one famous minister once said.
0: So, I mean, it sounds like, you know, studying is, is really an area that like helps you process things, take care of things, take care of yourself. Uh, the, the dual theme this month is like both care in the community sense, but care also in like the self-care sense. So uh, what exactly does self care mean to you? Obviously, it sounds like it includes studying. So what does it mean to you? And maybe like, what are some, some things that you do to take care of yourself?
1: Yeah. um, So, yeah, studying reading is a huge part. Um, Knowledge. um, I think the benefit of knowledge is that it keeps you again, like, like community, it takes you out of yourself and all that rut, because you are engaged with the wider World, this great crowd of witnesses that that are authors and thinkers and, and and just reality, right? That reality pushes back against against anxiety and fear and unknown. So so for me that that helps. Um, you know, spiritual practices. I, I I'm so lucky. I live nearby Central Park, and there's a segment of the park called the North Woods. And uh, two or three times a week in the morning, I tend to wake up and I go on walks there. Um, I don't do anything special there. I don't, I'm not an expert on woods or trees. I try to avoid being in that actually, because I don't, it's not about mastery, right? It's not about trying to be good at something or knowing stuff. It's about just being in the experience of something different and something that's beyond the control of, of me and, and humanity and the rational mind it's just it's its own little space so that that has been a huge huge gift to me to be able to do that uh, as a way of um of being in the world um, i listen to podcasts sometimes and music when i go i listen to uh this is a great poetry podcast i've been listening to that it's very short but um but it, it helps ground me and center me and uh, calms me down when things get get anxious um you know, I, uh, certainly, friendships help a lot. Um, you know, when certainly in the beginning, of the quarantine it was harder to see folks. Um, but uh, as things have been a little calmer and and people create pods, we have some pod people that we we pod with uh, and see uh, here and there, and that that has been good. And I'm grateful for those people. But I think like I think in general, this has been an opportunity to speak to, for me to practice self kindness to to not have expectations about what i should be doing um you know i gave a sermon about a a year and a half ago about my new yoga practice um and uh and it was great Uh, and then in quarantine um the yoga practice stopped stopped meeting where my needs where i needed to be uh being yoga on a screen just didn't do it for me and uh and uh, i had sort of two options i had the option to to plow through and make it another task that I had to do, or I had the option of trying to find something that felt life giving in the moment. And uh, I chose the latter. And for me, that was important because it, it was me choosing not something because I should do it, whatever should means, but because I needed to do it. Um, because I wanted to do it. And I think surviving into our hard times means listening to that part of you that says, this is what really is going to feed your soul. This is what's going to give you life and, uh, and not take it away. So that's what I've been trying to do.
0: That, uh, that little bit of a the story there about, about yoga that really uh, that hits home for me as uh, uh, about last December, I started a pretty regular like self-care practice doing yoga, spending some time meditating. Uh, I'm a bit of a perfectionist uh, and so I like to you know get my streak going and like I you know I got into I think like 150 days straight that I December through like April I was really consistent and doing this all the time even though we were in lockdown when I was in Vietnam that I was doing this so that I knew I was taking good care of myself and but then you know I had that moment where I had to admit like Am I just pushing myself to do this, or am I exhausted? Like, what what is better for me at this moment? Uh, interestingly, it was right around the same time that I got the offer to come join you all here that I said, "Oh my gosh, I'm tired. Like, it's okay to be tired. I've got an international move to plan." <laughs> um, uh, but then, you know, now uh, it's had the chance to organically come about again uh, in in the time since. And you know, it's uh, I think a lot about self care is that learning to to see your own um, like needs and understand your own self more so than like okay, well, I need to go to the yoga this day. I need to um, go do this thing. It shouldn't be a checklist. Then you're you're kind of missing missing the point in terms of taking care of yourself.
1: That's right. I think that's so key. I think I think where I have been mistaken about spiritual self care is when I make it more of a science than an art. Uh, it's really about intuition and knowing yourself. Um, I think that there are, there are self-care practices and spiritual practices that can help nurture that, right? I think meditation and yoga actually do a great job of you know, clearing out and centering and, and in encouraging you to develop introspective skills that, that let you check in and be like, what do I need right now? Um, but I think if you, you make an idol of those things, you know, this is what idolatry is, right? Where you you make something sacred that is not sacred, um, and spiritual practices are not are not sacred things. They are a means to something, right? And so, if they get in the way of that thing, which is a sense of peace, a sense of calm, a, a deeper sense of love in your life, um, then they are idol- They're then they're idols. So, so that that intuition, right? Of like, what do I need right now to to feel my life. As being whole, that's the key, and and things that let you develop that are also key, and that's part of what religious education does, right? In faith formation, is help you develop that uh, that sense of intuition that lets you take control of your own spiritual life.
0: I think that was, you know, part of my hope with uh, putting together this theme of resiliency during this fall is that understanding that people are are struggling right now, let, let's focus on getting people these tools. I think mean, you. you have a great point there Um, so in in a sense though in in our broader society there's become a little bit of what some people may call a self-care industrial complex you know we've gone from this idea that like we should we should nurture ourselves and take care of ourselves to like oh I need to get this coach and I need to sign up for this course and I need to sign up for Skillshare so that I can get educated about this topic and listen to 20 podcasts a week so that I can stay up on the news. You know, is there is there some level that like community care and self-care have kind of become like opposed because like it's just become this whole world that you have to buy into instead of something more organic?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm skeptical of those things. Not that they can't be good. I think, again, it's what works for you uh, as a person. And, you know, there was a time when yoga was a, a self-help and still, I guess, is in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I think I think spiritual wholeness and personal wholeness and, and feeling like your life is full in some deeply embodied way is, you know, it's a bit like when we talk about what food is healthy, you know, like we know what food is healthy uh, you know, there's some line from Michael Pollan that's like basically the only thing you need to know is, you know, eat green things that aren't processed uh, and don't don't eat too much of them, right? Like it's pretty simple. Like we can have all a million different diets. You know, we can work on our exercise, but like if we want to if we want to eat well, like it's pretty cl- it's it's simple. Like we don't need a million different things. And I think, think spiritual care is. And practices is, is is similar to that. Like, there are definitely tricks and things that can work for us, but, um, but if we try to gamify it too much, I think we're playing into some of the things that cause the problem in general. You know, a, a desire a desire for mastery. You know, I, like I said about the woods, like I work really hard to not try to like recognize all the trees that I see in there and try to keep notes on which birds I found. That's those. That's an effort to master something and. And what's underneath the desire for mastery is a desire for control and a desire to be protected from things and uh, uh, from the uncertainty of the world and, and to let go. And, and, and ultimately, those are those again are idols because we can't we can't ever master things. And so the impulse that we need to work on the impulse of being able to just be OK with who we are and where we are. And if if it becomes a frantic effort, then that itself is a problem, and we need to step back. Um, I mean, I think one of the things that always helps ground me when I think about like what am I actually trying to do is to think back to those moments in my life where I felt most at peace and and most most at one with the world and at home in the world um, and most f- surrounded by love in whatever way we understand that and. If whatever, I whatever practices I need to do, whatever life I need to live to get that, that's what I should be pursuing. Um, and uh, it's not—I don't know—I feel like those those when I think about those moments, like there's nothing fancy about those moments. There's nothing complicated. It's not jerry-rigged in some way, you know. It's just—it's usually involving some um, some beauty uh, of the world. Uh, it's usually involved in some beauty of people. Um, and some love between people. Um, it's usually a place where my heart and my mind feels open and receptive to the world, um, and uh, is not worried by concerns of of, of the world. Um, or so I think. I, th- I really think that, like, yeah, we want to be careful about not trying to not trying to buy into practices that are really motivated in order to sell products and not keep us in the right place. We're not going to be saved by by someone who is making a buck off of what they're selling to us.
0: Definitely, definitely. I I think that there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, I wonder though if there's there's something in that Midwest water because I know I often struggle with the with the mastery and control, uh, self narrative as well. So maybe it's maybe it's something to do with Wisconsin.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, as you know, like there's a whole like work ethic, right, the Protestant work ethic, which has been so deeply ingrained in our society, which Wisconsin has a lot of Protestants in it, uh, as does, you know, New York, um, you know, New England, people who settled in New England, which is where Unitarian Universalism came from, at least in the United States. That our value is tied to our ability to master uh, things. You know, we are only as good as we are competent. We're only as good as we are hardworking. If we're not those things, we don't. We're not as worthy. We're not as good. And so, so we also have our own sense of self tied to that, mm. which I think is, you know, basically saying like we, we we only we only deserve to be happy unless we prove it, prove ourselves worthy or prove ourselves good. It's a pretty pretty sick way. Of of perceiving ourselves and our own sense of value, because we should be worth, uh, we should be worth something no matter what. Um,
0: Definitely. When I think that that, that desire for control, uh, the, the part of the reason why I tied it, it tied self-care and community care in together is because we can only really relinquish that desire for control when we're interacting with other people's worlds, as you called it earlier. Like we, we can't control other people's worlds. So when we're in community, it, it makes us have to be vulnerable and like admit that we're not the master and commanders of, of the world.
1: Yeah. And we've actually like that. We just, we just forget that we like that, um, that we actually really enjoy giving up the, the excuse to control or the need to control um, it's quite comforting really to give that up. Um, the challenge is giving up to a place that you can trust, right? That won't abuse that giving up. Um, and that's part of the challenge in any community, but especially religious communities. But, but we really want that. I mean, that's what belonging is, right? Being able to lay yourself down in a community and be yourself and not have to prove yourself anymore. Um, I think the most powerful relationship you can have is when you feel yourself being accepted by, people in an unconditional way. Um, I think about that with like mentors of mine um, who I've um, had so that I expect that I've disappointed them or I've messed up in some way. And then they, instead of what I expected which was uh, removal of affection to be given instead encouragement and said, yeah, of course
0: it's fine. You know,
1: we all, we all fall short sometimes but that community that says we're here for you.
0: Yeah, definitely. So as kind of a wrap-up question, uh, at 4th Universalist, we're, we're a very justice-focused uh, congregation. So how, does, how do you think, how do you see uh, taking care of ourselves and taking care of our, ourselves as like a community at 4th Universalist and just our wider community, how does the self and community care tie into to justice work?
1: Yeah. Um, so there's, a, I think there's a mythology around justice and spirituality that is really key here. So often, so often um, we hear that justice and spirituality or justice and community are kind of these opposing concepts um, that religious communities, you know, either you're, you're spiritual or you're too political, or you're, you're, you're these things and they're kind of, they're opposed. And I think that really misunderstands what justice work actually is, um, which is not just a bunch of people who are mad about the world going on the streets and, uh, and yelling about it or having signs and marching. That's part of justice work. But, but the true and the most enduring justice work is a work about relationships. Um, it's about being in community with other people to work for our collective betterment. And, uh, and, if, and if you have worked with a team of people or got to know people who are different than you, um, in a in a real collaborative way, you know how how transformative that is to really be with people in a struggle, or really with people in a, in in the work that uh, that it's not just this, it's not an individual thing. It's not just about me doing this thing. It's about being embedded with a group of people who who are aligned towards the most inspiring and important work that human beings can do together, which is trying to, Liberate us from these uh, systems of oppression that affect not just our bodies, but also our hearts and our minds. And so, when we talk about justice work at Fourth Universalist, we're talking—we are, of course, talking about you know fighting you know white supremacy and going against transphobia and other and xenophobia and all these other structures and systems of oppression. Um, but we're also doing that with other people who we can look at and say like you are in this with me and and we are going to figure this out and we're going to trust each other we're going to get to know each other because while we're dismantling those larger systems we're also doing interior work together we're learning to find how those things live out inside of us and though that's spiritual work you know trying to be an anti-racist is not just because you're a social justice warrior and uh and you, you know, someone on Facebook made made you feel bad about being, you know, racist. So you're going to do some work. It's that spiritual work. It's about opening yourself up to the possibility that other people's experiences um, are different than yours and equally valid. And that's at the heart of, of justice work, and at the heart of what it means to live in a be a loving religion, right? Where we care about our neighbors as much as ourselves. And you can't do that unless you start dismantling those systems and those that cultural supremacy um, that we get taught from across the board. So so I, I think that they're one and the same. I find myself, the more I'm embedded in justice work, the more I make relationships with people, the better I feel. Um, because... Because you get to be with people in a really sincere, authentic way, and you're mobilized around an issue. And I think if justice feels doesn't feel that way to you, um, I'd invite you to think a little bit about, you know, what kind of relationships you've built through your justice work, and and how you can infuse it with relationships with people that are, you know, deeper and authentic. Because. That's that's where that's the most successful justice work, and it's also the most life-inspiring and also the most enduring. Because if we're just out there by ourselves, not taking care of ourselves, it's not going to work, uh, and we're going to burn out. And so that kind of community is, is is really important.
0: I think that that feels like a a beautiful reflection on on the role of justice and community and self and spiritual practices a uh, beautiful place to, to end the, our reflections. So uh, Reverend Schuyler, I thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was great. And thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, you can find more about both myself and Reverend Schuyler at fourthu.org. And that is number four, thu.org. So thank you all for listening.